Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Well, I'm going to begin today the same way that I began last Sunday. Uh, There is power in simply reading and hearing the Word of God. So let me invite you to open your hearts and minds as I read several texts at the outset this morning. Uh, From Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In contrast, our days may come to 70 years, or 80 if our strength endures. And so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Jesus said, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. A bit later in uh, the New Testament, the book of James, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek or the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And then just a bit later in the Sermon on the Mount, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than them? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The underlying question for this series is, so what are you shaped by? What shapes your life? What defines your worldview? What shapes your faith, the way you think, the way you talk, the way you live? Are you shaped more by the culture in which we live or by the words of Jesus? In the first lesson in this series, I referenced the prayer of Jesus for the disciples in John chapter 17, paraphrased this way, in the world, but not of the world, the healthy tension that needs to exist in our lives as we navigate life, a recognition that there are so many puzzle pieces with the potential to shape our lives. And I invite you to hear me 
carefully some puzzle pieces that have the incredible potential to shape our lives in ungodly ways. Some puzzle pieces that have the incredible potential to shape our lives in godly ways. But some puzzle pieces that are what I would describe simply as neutral, that are neither good nor bad in and of themselves. The question is, do they control us? Do we allow them to become the gods of our lives? Or do we engage in the appropriate spiritual disciplines to use those things for good? For example, last week we talked about money and possessions. The underlying question is, are we controlled by our money, our possessions, Or are we good stewards of our blessings, using our money and our possessions to honor God and to bless others? If you would allow me to use Paul's language, it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money itself, but the love of money. And so last week, we talked about the challenges of living in a consumeristic culture where the message we often hear is, if you really want to be happy in life, if you really want to find meaning in life, you need more money, more possessions, more stuff. And we talked about the contrast that we see in the message of Jesus, a message about contentment and simplicity and generosity. The sad reality is because we often buy into the message of our culture, The sad reality is that we spend more and more. We accumulate more and more stuff. We find ourselves deeper and deeper in debt to the point that we create no space in our lives to be generous in our giving to the Lord, to the church, to ministry, to those who are in need. Uh, Today, another puzzle piece. Some of you may recognize the name Malcolm Gladwell influential author, influential thinker over the past couple of decades, books that focus on cultural trends, how we define and how we determine success in our culture. A few years ago, he wrote a book titled Blink, The Power of Thinking Without Thinking. He describes the main subject of his book as thin slicing, our ability to gauge what is really important from a very narrow period of experience. He draws examples from science, advertising, sales, medicine, popular music to reinforce his ideas. Here's part of the premise. Let's assume that I'm able to look in on a five-minute or a 30-minute slice of your life. Would that thin slice be a true picture of who you are as a person, your character, your personality, your priorities? Let me give you one example. Because I've done a lot of marriage counseling through the years, I'm always drawn to research when it comes to marital relationships. I'm, in, I'm intrigued, for example, by the work of John Gottman, the research he's done, the marriage counseling he's done through the years, well-known for the work that he's done. In fact, his research is actually cited in Gladwell's book. He says, after analyzing a normal conversation between a husband and a wife for one hour, he says that he can predict whether that couple will still be married in 15 years with 95% accuracy. Now, whether that's completely true or not, I don't know, but his research bears that out, he says. If he analyzes them for 15 minutes, His accuracy only diminishes to 90%. In other words, that thin slice of their lives 
is an accurate picture of who they are, what their relationship really looks like. And so last week, I asked if someone who did not know you at all had access to your bank account, to your credit card receipts, what conclusion would they draw about your priorities? Here's the question for today. If we were looking at a thin slice of your life, a five-minute slice or a 30-minute slice during this past week, perhaps a thin slice of your interaction with your family or with your coworkers or with your neighbor, is that thin slice an accurate picture of who you really are? Or let me be even more generous in the time that we allot. If we were looking at a 24-hour slice of your life, a 24-hour slice, what conclusions might we draw? Now, I don't want to lose you. I don't want to bore you with the numbers or with the statistics, but let me invite you to stay with me for a moment. There are 24 hours each day, 168 hours each week, 61,320 hours in a given year. One of the challenging puzzle pieces where we're asking, so what shapes your life? One of the challenging puzzle pieces is that we live in a culture where we can fill 24 hours with so many things. And so we may be shaped by business, by entertainment, by work, by time demands, not necessarily bad things, but we may quickly find that our lives are way out of balance. And so the following statistics may convict you as they did me as I was preparing for today's sermon. In fact, let me encourage you to think about your life as I share these numbers. Those 24 hours a day, 168 hours a week, 61,320 hours a year. A new Harvard study reveals that the average American works approximately 44 hours a week. The average CEO or those in key leadership roles work approximately 53 hours a week. The average American sleeps 6.8 hours a day or a night. Those of you who sleep 15 hours, you've messed up the average. According to the A.C. Nielsen Company, the average American watches more than four hours of TV each day. That's 28-plus hours a week. Remember, there are 168 hours in a week, and so the average American spends one-sixth of their time watching TV. Or, and hear me carefully, that is the equivalent of two months of TV, of TV watching each year. Or in a 65-year life, 10 to 11 years glued to the TV. Among U.S. adults, the average person spends an average of one hour and 57 minutes, almost two hours, on social media each day. That means that we spend more time on social platforms than we spend cooking, cleaning, eating, and doing yard work. And as you can imagine, in an age of technology, that average is increasing year by year. You don't have to go far to see that. Go out to your typical restaurant, table of six folks, and it isn't unusual for all six of them to have their cell phone out. In 2020, U.S. teenagers ages 15 to 19 spent an average of 112 daily minutes playing games and using computers or other, uh, uh, other things like phones and tablets, etc. 112 minutes a day 
playing games. And I cite that statistic because the average amount of time jumped from 73 minutes the previous year to 112 minutes. In contrast, the average American spends 20 minutes a day reading. That could be reading anything, books, newspapers, magazines. But let me take it even a step further. The American Bible Society recently released their annual State of the Bible report, which analyzes the Bible reading practices of Americans and their views about Scripture. The survey found that only 9% of respondents read their Bibles on a daily basis, the lowest figure in the decade during which they've been conducting research. One more. According to a 2021 survey, 31% of Americans never attend church or synagogue, and only 22% of Americans attend church each week. Only 22% each week. And so dare I ask, how many hours of your week are specifically focused on spiritual practices versus the hours you spend on social media or watching TV? Can we be honest enough to acknowledge that one of the challenges in our culture is that we're often self-absorbed? We're shaped by busyness, and maybe hurry is the real problem. We're always in a hurry. We're shaped by time demands, by entertainment, by the pressures of our jobs, and we stop being present. Many times to the extent that we neglect focus to our faith, to the extent that we neglect our families, to the extent that we create no margin, no space in our lives to walk alongside others, to show mercy and justice to others. The question is, do I discipline the use of my time? What do I cultivate in my life, not only for my own spiritual growth, but for the love and justice and mercy that I show others? Almost 20 years ago, Richard Swenson wrote a challenging book, still challenging, titled Margin. The subtitle was Restoring Emotional, Physical, Financial, and Time Reserves to Overloaded Lives. He, he defined margin this way. Margin is the space that once existed between ourselves and our limits. In other words, we had margins. We had space in our lives to rest, to play, space to spend time with our families, to spend time walking alongside others, space to extend mercy and justice and love to those who were hurting, space to mourn over the brokenness of our world. Today, we use margins just to get by because we live in a busy, hurried, frantic world because we spend more time working, and because we feel, I am not through, <laughs> because we spend more time working, and because we fill those spaces where we could find renewal and where we could bless others, because we fill those spaces with TV and social media and entertainment. And we find ourselves saying again and again and again and again, I just don't have time. And so how are you using your time? How are you doing with this puzzle piece of time demands? Are you allowing culture to control your time or are you disciplining your time? 
creating the appropriate balance, creating space for rest, creating space for family, creating space to invest in the lives of others, creating space to grow spiritually. In August of 1981, Debbie and I made one of the most significant decisions of our married life. We had been married for seven years, had two small children, ages two and nine months. I was preaching for a church in Oklahoma, and we made the decision to move to Memphis, Tennessee, where we would live for the next two and a half years while I pursued a Master of Divinity degree at Harding Graduate School. At that time, a 90-hour graduate program. In terms of being better prepared for the 40 or so years of ministry that have followed, it was the best decision I've ever made. I'm grateful we made that decision. But I regret pieces of those two and a half years because I was determined to complete that degree as quickly as possible. I carried 15 graduate hours every fall and spring semester and nine hours during the summer sessions, and I was working part-time for a church, which meant I didn't spend much time focusing on rest or Sabbath, and which meant I didn't spend the time with my wife and children that I wish I had. I was doing good things, but my life was way out of balance. For each of us who were students at Harding Grad School, as we approached our final semester in our programs, we would be invited to speak in chapel. I still remember the message from a fellow student who had traveled a very similar journey to mine. He reflected on the words that I read from Matthew 6 a bit earlier. He confessed that the balance in his life had been way off during his time in graduate school. In particular, he referenced the words of Jesus, look at the birds of the air. Consider the flowers, the lilies of the field. And he said, I don't think Jesus is inviting us to scientifically evaluate the birds of the air or the grass of the field or the flowers of the field. He said, I think Jesus is telling us to slow down to balance our time, to look, to reflect, to create space for God to be at work in our lives. Those words were convicting and still are. I wish I could say I, had done, I, I have done a whole lot better the last 40 years. I don't know that I always have. I still struggle, but I can tell you those words are always in the back of my mind as I grapple with this puzzle piece of business of time demands, as I grapple with how I use my time. And so how are you using your time? Last week, as we focused on money and possessions, I extended two challenges. Number one, make it a goal to live below your means. It may not be possible to do that overnight, but begin where you are. And number two, make it your goal to grow in this grace of giving, this grace of generosity. Again, begin where you are, but grow and I specifically challenged you to give away five things during this past week. Today, let me extend two more challenges related to this puzzle piece of business, hurry, time demands. And with both of these challenges, a key word is the word mindfulness. This idea of do we just go through life without really thinking? The key is mindfulness, to be intentional, because far too often we just rock along without being intentional. So challenge number one, choose a 24-hour period during this coming week and fast 
from social media or TV. And if you're saying, can't be done, it can. Fast from social media or TV for 24 hours during this coming week. And as you do so, be attentive to the spaces that are created in your life. And especially be attentive to people in situations where God may be inviting you to be present, to mourn with those who mourn, to be gentle, to be merciful to those who need to be shown mercy, to hunger and to thirst for righteousness. And number two, be intentional each evening this coming week by reflecting on and reviewing your day. A lot of different ways that we can do that, but I'm going to point you to an ancient spiritual practice, uh, four to five hundred years old, numerous spiritual disciplines we could point one another to that help us to create space for God to be at work. The discipline of prayer, the discipline of fasting, of silence, of solitude. One practice that kind of grows out of all of that is called the examen, E-X-A-M-E-N. It's a practice. It's a time of prayer and reflection that can help us see God's hand at work in our whole experience. This method, this approach has been adapted by a number of folks from a technique that was originally described by Ignatius, who died in 1556 in his work titled Spiritual Exercises. Copies are available as you leave the worship center this morning, or if you want to scan the QR code on the screen, it'll give you this as well. Basically, a little five-step approach. Take 10 minutes, 15 minutes each evening to reflect on your day. Number one, ask God for light because I want to look at the day I've just completed through God's eyes, not just mine. Number two, give thanks for the day. The day I've just lived is a gift from God, and so be grateful. Number three, review that day. Carefully look back at the day just completed. And number four, be willing to face shortcomings during the day. I face up to what needs to be changed in my life. And then number five, I look toward the day to come. I ask where I need God in, in specific ways in the day to come. Just one little exercise, but one that I believe can be helpful as we pause at the close of each day to reflect. Now, with the rain coming down, let me close with one other question. How many of you were distracted by or wondered what the countdown on the screen was all about a little while ago? Anybody? Uh, by the way, it wasn't the length of the sermon because uh, if you thought I was only going to preach 15 minutes, you were wrong. In fact, one of the elders at the close of the first assembly came up to me and said, I thought about, uh, about going back to the sound booth and telling them, hey, you forgot to take off the countdown. No, hopefully it was a brief little reminder that we are controlled by the clock. We are controlled by the calendar, by time demands. We're always in a hurry. That 15 minutes is up and we've got to move on to something else. There is no space created in our lives. And so I want you to hear me carefully. We cannot get away completely from the clock or the calendar. But what if I were more mindful, more intentional in the use of my time? And so what would it look like this week if you spent 24 hours fasting from social media or TV? And what would it look like 
if you spend a few moments each evening simply reflecting on and reviewing your day. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's stand and sing together.